And so that's a place that they, they don't want to be anymore. It's no longer acceptable. We often call it their unacceptable status quo. And, uh, and the light bulbs are categories of messaging. So what you want to do is give voice to these light bulbs. And a lot of companies and people don't do that. You know, you go to these websites and it's just me, 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 I, 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 we've been in business for 30 years. We won these awards. And what's missing is the all important word you. And so your customer, and I learned this from copywriting, like the first thing that they need is to be seen, to be heard. Only when you check that box, are they going to keep listening to your message? And only then can you take them across that bridge to your product. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Billy Bross. Billy is a copywriter, marketing consultant to top entrepreneurs, a teacher, and the creator of the popular Five Lightbulbs Messaging Framework. He left a career in the energy industry to become a solopreneur and hasn't looked back. As content marketers, we're often obsessed with traffic. But as you've heard me say on this podcast, Traffic doesn't always equal dollars. You need to convert it, and product messaging is so important. In this episode, Billy and I go deep on product messaging and conversion rate optimization and the framework that he uses with his clients to drive conversions and close more customers. And this episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. If you don't know by now, my name's Nate and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And I'm really excited to announce that we just launched our content analytics tool set. This has very quickly become my favorite feature. It's one that I've wanted for the last 10 years. And it's really effective in identifying which pages on your site users might be having a low quality experience on. What we do is we track metrics like scroll depth, bounce rate, and time on page to score your pages and then allow you to go deeper to see where within a piece of content, for example, which paragraph is causing people to leave or where, for example, you might want to add a call to action within that page. This tool set is called Content Analytics. It's our newest feature. I'm stoked about it and you should be too. Billy, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Hey, Nate, thanks for having me. Pumped for this. So you've got an interesting background. You transitioned from the energy industry into websites and marketing. And and I have to ask, you've built uh, what is a pretty interesting site. I know that you sold it, uh, but it was actually a website in the homebrew space. So I want to talk about that. But first, how did you make your way from the energy industry into marketing and now product messaging? You know, I'm not one of these entrepreneurs that likes to bash school and bash education. I know it's very popular these days. I always loved school. Like I'm one of those nerds. I loved it. I, I love studying. I love textbooks. I stayed as long as possible. I stayed and got my master's degree and then eventually said, okay, I got to go out into the real world now. And, uh, and I love my career too. You know, I'm not going to bash my, um, my job or my coworkers or anything like that. My boss, love my boss, love my coworkers, but I always had that entrepreneurial itch. I just always wanted to do my own thing. I was always, always reading books about investing and building businesses. And it's funny that, you know, despite working so hard in school and landing the job that everyone in my major wanted with the company, everyone wanted to work for, I sat down at my desk that very first day at that job and said, this isn't going to last. But it did last seven years because I really enjoyed it. I was doing pretty cool stuff in uh, in clean energy. But uh, you know, I had that itch. And so this was around 2008, 2009. And I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And so I said, okay, 
I see my path out of here. And, uh, and so I had been brewing beer for a few years and I uh, had really geeked out on it. I, I love to teach. So I said, okay, that's the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to start a, a website and just start writing about brewing beer and craft beer, essentially write down everything that I know, teach everything that I know. And that eventually led to online courses. So I had this paid, I added this paid component to it. And after a few years, was able to leave that job. So you started the Homebrew Academy and it sounds like it was a, a niche website focused on helping the average person and then maybe even more expert brewers like learn the craft and you created a large amount of content around like how to get started and how to do that. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. It was a hybrid between craft beer and homebrewing. Looking back on it, I should have niched down on just homebrewing. That was definitely something that pulled me in two different directions that I think hurt me because I was trying to appeal to craft beer drinkers, but not all of them were homebrewers. But uh, yeah, it was essentially a content site. I mean, I wrote 550 articles for that site. I got it up to about 50,000 organic visitors a month, had an email list of got up to about 20,000 people on the email list. And uh, and yeah, then started selling these beer brewing courses through it. So as far as monetization goes, you mentioned that you launched a course as part of that on the, the Homebrew Academy. Was that like the main way that you took that website visitor and ultimately converted them into dollars? That was about 80% of it. The other 20% was affiliate sales. So homebrewers spend, and again, looking back on it, if I were to start over again, I might've tried to boost that percentage because homebrewers love shiny objects. They love gear. They love stainless steel kettles and they'll spend, I mean, I was a great example. I, I thought it would save me money getting into brewing beer, right? Cause I'm like, why am I paying $10 for a six pack of this craft beer? I can just make it for cheap. Yeah. And then I spend $4,000 building this insane brewery, right? That's where all your money goes. And so I probably should have gone with the flow more and gone more into affiliate sales and selling products like that. Um, because they weren't as keen. It was tough. Like I, I've worked in, oh God, like, uh, uh, you know, with a hundred different online course creators by now in all different niches. And it was really tough selling and selling courses in the home beer brewing market. They weren't as excited to buy information on brewing beer. They were more excited to buy gear, uh, but still it did well enough. And it was a good stepping stone, got me out of my job and into what I do now. And I promise we're going to talk about product messaging, um, but I'm curious. You wrote 550 articles at the Homebrewing Academy. That's a lot of content. How long did it take you to create 550 pieces of content? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I started it in 2009 and then I sold it in 2017. So years. I mean, it took, you know, I was doing it for you know, almost 10 years. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot. I mean, and that's not even including all the emails that I wrote too. And I, and I got more, I got more into email marketing as it went on. Again, looking back, I would have done more email marketing from the very beginning. And funny enough, you know, I think this is a good, this is a good lesson for everyone. And this is what I teach now with messaging, where I thought that when I wrote something, it had to be this very long, technical, in-depth how-to post. And I put so much pressure on myself to do that. And it was so much work every time I did it. One, I believe that it cannibalized the sales of the courses because I had so much available for free, so many tutorials for free that there wasn't a whole lot that I could really sell at that point. And two, it just, it was funny. Once I switched, like once I started learning copywriting and studying like these old copywriters, I got really into the history of copywriting and, and seeing how they did it. And I switched to more of a storytelling format in my emails. Like just teaching a quick lesson, making it more entertaining and educational and not these long detailed how-to posts, my email engagement and my sales went way up. I have a few quick questions. So did you collect emails like actively on the blog or the website? Like there was an email collection or like a pop-up that basically pushed someone into your email newsletter. Is that how you got their emails primarily? 
From day one, yes. I, I studied other online marketing websites, people who taught blogging. That was really big back then. And that was the big thing they all stressed was create a lead magnet. That was the term for it and get people to opt into your lists. So uh, my very first one, uh, it was actually really popular. was the, the 50 Beers to Try Before You Die. I had the ebook cover made and everything. It was a great book and I got a ton of opt-ins for that. I had other ones over the years, but that was the first one and, and probably the most successful. So what's the number one beer I should try before I die? Ooh, man. Well, in the US, well, it's, it's, it's so readily available now, but um, Pliny the Elder by Russian River Brewing is uh, in California, Northern California is a fantastic one. And then there's one called uh, West Leader in 12, which is uh, it's made by the monks in Belgium. And you have to go to the brewery to find this thing. I have a friend who went there and brought it back and it was just mind blowing. We're going to add links in the show notes to both of these beers. Probably the first beer links that you put in the show notes. Definitely. They're building some backlinks today, the monks in Belgium. My first question is, what made you want to sell the website? And second question is, how did you ultimately go and sell it and value it? Because a lot of our listeners are building their own websites and like might want to sell them someday. How did you go about like the sale process? Well, why did I sell it? Multiple reasons. One, the homebrewing market was not tanking, but it was a victim of its own success, which was interesting because you had all these home people who became home beer brewers, a percentage of them launched their own breweries, real microbreweries. So now you have all these microbreweries. I mean, if you look at the chart of brewery growth in the States, it's just through the roof between 2008, 2020. So now, now you have all these guys and it's primarily men who brew beer who are like, well, why am I going to bust my ass to brew beer when there's this awesome microbrewery right next door? So homebrewing stores started to close shop because not as many people were getting into the hobby. And my biggest seller was one, the affiliate sales from uh, homebrew kits, the starter kits, and two, my beginner homebrewing course. So things started to falter. My interest was waning for it anyways. I didn't want to be the beer guy my whole life. My gut was getting bigger because I was drinking so much craft, heavy craft beer and I did hit a limit at some point. But the big thing was, you know, through that, like I said, I've always had this entrepreneurial itch. So I got really into the business side of it, the marketing side, the copywriting side. So I started consulting and writing copy for businesses uh, similar to mine, but even much bigger. And that was the more exciting thing. So that's why I decided to move on. And then, uh, man, it was totally lucky how it happened. I mean, I just, I'm kind of a spontaneous person, uh, maybe even impulsive. And so like one day I said, you know what? I'm going to sell this site. Next day I call a friend and said, hey, do you know anyone who might not be interested in buying it, but can help me figure out how to sell it? Because I had no idea how to sell a website. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know a guy. He, he, he's bought and sold a couple of websites. And um, sure enough, that guy wanted to buy my site. So uh, it wasn't like startup exit or like Jeff Bezos kind of money. It was 20 grand though. I was pumped about that because I never thought that I would even make any money from it. And within a couple of months, yeah, we did the due diligence and everything, transferred all the assets, which wasn't a whole lot. It's just a website, right? So logins, files, email list, social media accounts, that kind of a thing. And so between me deciding to sell it and it being in someone else's hands, it was about three months. And that's a great transition. So you've built the site, you've gotten some traffic to it. It sounds like you've experimented with different conversion methods and, and different user journeys. And I know that this is something you've spent a lot of time thinking about since selling the website. And that's led you to creating the five light bulbs framework. For all of our listeners who haven't heard of the five light bulbs framework, could you tell us what that is and what led you to creating this framework for product messaging? Yeah. So like I said, I, my, the thing I went into then, the beer site was a stepping stone into consulting and copywriting. And I'm very much a, a first principles kind of guy. 
I like the basics. Uh, I like the fundamentals. I like to study history. I don't like all the shiny objects and the tactics and the gimmicks and all that. And there's a lot of that, if you haven't noticed, when it comes to online marketing. And I saw that, you know, I would I would work with a client who had all like these like countdown timers and pop ups and all this software on their website, but they were missing persuasive copy and testimonials and all the fundamentals. So I said, okay, I got to take a step back here and focus on the fundamentals. And also the people I, I was working with were not professional marketers. They're very much like me, more subject matter experts who found themselves in a position where they had to do marketing to sell their courses, coaching programs, digital products. So, um, you know, the, the five levels was the, the 20th iteration of something that I had been creating a framework I had been working on to help in these consulting and copywriting engagements. And then eventually, like literally the light bulb went on in my head and I said, oh, okay, well, this is, this is how I can connect all the dots here. It really came from, if I had to attribute the inspiration to one person, an old copywriter named Eugene Schwartz. And so he wrote a book, which is considered the Bible of copywriting called Breakthrough Advertising, wrote it in 1966. It, it cost a fortune because it fell out of print. So it's like $500 on Amazon, but it's, it's still worth every penny. But it's a very dense book. It's tough to get through. And then are you gonna really implement it? I mean, I'm still rereading it and peeling back layers. So I wanted to take his, his concepts and he had this concept about belief building. That was his big thing was you really have to ask yourself the question, what do my prospects need to believe in order to buy? And I said, that is a really good question to ask. And then if you, if you instill those beliefs, if you build those beliefs in the mind of your prospects, then they have really no alternative except to buy from you. And so what I wanted to do was take his pretty advanced copywriting concepts and put them in a simple package for these non-marketers I was working with. And light bulbs, yeah, they're cliche, but everyone gets them. You know, the light bulb goes on in your head and and so it, it turned into this framework, which is very simple on the surface, but it has a, a lot of layers to it. I mean, I've been developing it for about three years now, and I'm still uncovering new things I can do with it. So I want to go through the five light bulbs. What is light bulb number one? Right. And definitely go to the website. I'm a very visual thinker. So I hired an illustrator. I had to go through a few first, but I found someone who got my vision. And so if you go to the five slash framework, you'll see all the visuals that we created. It's pretty wild. We got characters. We got a bear. There's an owl. There's a bridge. Uh, but you'll see with light bulb one. It's the bear on the left side of the bridge. And it's pretty gnarly looking. And, and uh, it's not a good place, not a place you want to be. And so that's light bulb one, which is your customer's status quo. And so that's a place that they, they don't want to be anymore. It's, it's, it's no longer acceptable. We often call it their unacceptable status quo. And, uh, and the light bulbs are categories of messaging. So what you want to do is give voice to these light bulbs. So you want to give voice to your light bulb one. And a lot of companies and people don't do that. You know, you go to these websites and it's just me, 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 I, I, I. We've been in business for 30 years. We won these awards. And what's missing is the all important word, you. And, and so your customer, and I learned this from copywriting, like, the first thing that they need is to to be seen, to be heard. And only when you check that box are they going to keep listening to your message. And only then can you take them across that bridge to your product. So it sounds like light bulb number one is you need to like understand that moment that that user or person coming to your website or potential customer is in. And so instead of talking solely about like your value prop or your product, you're using like words on a page to communicate that feeling that you understand that moment that they are in. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It's empathy at the end of the day. We call light bulb one, the light bulb of empathy. Light bulb number two, I saw on the website, which we will include a link to in the show notes alongside those two awesome beer links. Light bulb number two is other things that they've tried. What do you mean by light bulb number two? 
Right. So people have other options besides us, besides the thing that we're selling. We don't want to hear that. We like to be sort of ignore that and think that we're the only thing that they're considering. But that's just not the case. And you know that from your own experience uh, when you're in the market for something. Are you open to other options? Of course you are. And so what you don't want to do is pretend like those things don't exist. You want to address the elephant in the room, so to speak. And so you want to give voice to those things. And it doesn't necessarily mean saying, hey, those things suck. You don't want those because that's you want to treat your customer like they're intelligent. And, you know, people don't buy that argument when you're just bashing something. It's better. You could do that. Right. But it's better to give an intelligent argument and say, hey, for someone in your situation, here's why those solutions may or may not be right for you and give criteria. This is often called buying criteria in the sales process. And, and so, I mean, sales and, uh, sales and copywriting, it's a similar thing. Copywriting is just salesmanship and print. So you do the same thing through your print, through your words, and you lay out the criteria for buying. And when you do that, and if you do it right, and your, tar and your targeting is pretty accurate, then they should say like, oh man, those options that I've either tried or I'm considering, they're not right for me. And then that can uh, open the door for you to present your solution. And there has to be like a level of honesty here, though, too. I'm guessing that like the potential customer website visitor doesn't want to see just your product framed against others where they leave feeling like that wasn't a totally honest comparison. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I mean, the better and more honest argument you can make, if you can give real reasons why the solutions haven't been working out for that person, uh, the more likely they are to to go with you. And um, and look, you're, you're doing this wrong if in every situation you're the best alternative. There should definitely be situations where you say, you know what, that option is better for you. And anyone who's done like worked with clients and has turned someone down, like turned a client away because you're not the best fit for them, you know how good that is and, and like what kind of karma that is because that person, one, they'll be shocked that you're saying, no, I don't think I'm the best person for you. And two, they're going to spread the word about you like crazy. Like, oh my gosh, this person like could have sold me and they didn't. And uh, and three, they'll probably come back to you later on. You know, maybe they just weren't far enough along. So you send them to someone more suited to, to helping beginners. Yeah, pulling it back to SEO a little bit, a lot of our listeners will have like the classic like best insert keyword type pages on their website where they'll position like their product as the number one option among many, for example, like best payroll software, and they will position like their product as the first in a list of best payroll softwares. Um, and I've encouraged uh, a lot of them to instead like frame their product as like the best for a specific use case. And to be honest about like the use cases that their competitors might also be best for. One, it's helping you like cut out some of the noise in like your sales pipeline. So that way you're not sending like a whole bunch of unqualified leads or free trials or whatever it is to the sales team. To like coming back to that light bulb, you're doing like a fair comparison versus like the other solutions that they might have already tried. Does that feel like right advice that I've been giving to our customers? Totally. Check out the visuals on the website and Lightbulb 3. A lot of intention went into those. And you'll see it's a picture of the bridge. And we'll get into Lightbulb 3. We're there. You've taken us to Lightbulb 3. We're there already. Yeah. So that represents your approach, right? Your, your way of doing things. And you'll see a call out there. And it, it zooms in on the bridge. And you see a steel reinforcement on the bridge. Why is there a steel reinforcement? Well, who was the customer? Who's the character that represents the customer? It's a bear. Bears are heavy. A bridge needs a steel reinforcement for the bear. So it's tailored to the bear. And that's what you were saying, Nate. And that's the word you want to keep in mind is that your solution is tailored for someone. So if it's tailored for someone, 
that automatically means you're excluding someone, which means that it can't be the best for everyone. And so you really want to keep that in mind. You know, if, if it was a fish that was a pro instead of a bear that we had, then that wouldn't make any sense. What we would need the bridge to be an aqueduct or something that a fish could swim through. So it, it builds you a lot of credibility and you lose a lot of credibility when you say I'm the best for everyone. You build a lot when you say I'm not right for these groups, but for you, I'm perfect. Geez, I think we need to do a better job of this on our website. <laughs> um, but this also kind of takes us back to light bulb number one, right? Because if you're positioning yourself as the best option for a very specific customer or problem point, then that's probably also resonating with like the customer status quo who have like those issues that you're solving for. So I know we haven't gotten through all five of the light bulbs just yet, but it feels like a lot of these light bulbs are like interconnected and will like turn on and off on each other. Does that feel right? Yeah, totally. You know, you, you got to look, you look at them individually, but as a whole too. And it, when you, when you add them up as a whole, it's kind of like a fingerprint where you might have a similar ridge or whatever they call them on your fingerprint, you know, like, uh, like Zachary, you and Nate might have a similar one, but taken as a whole, you have a unique fingerprint, right? So you have to look at it both ways and you're totally right. It's, um, it goes back to who that customer is and, and light bulb one, because I mean, we were speaking before we started recording about me being a, a dad now, and I have a one-year-old son and and I'm, I'm, I'm 39, I'm almost 40. So like 39 year old Billy with a son is very different than 22 year old single Billy. And so trying to have empathy and like speak to me at these two different stages of my life, the language would be totally different. I mean, I have totally different motivations and interests. So if someone were to try to speak to me now and me, then uh, the language would have to be very watered down. Are you going to use the light bulb method on your child as they grow to convince them to do the things you want them to do? Totally. Yeah. I, I use it on my wife all the time. Light bulb one, especially. <laughs> so light bulb number four um, is your offer. What do you mean by your offer? What, what should we be thinking about here as the offer we're presenting? Yeah. So the offer is the vehicle for your approach. Again, your approach is light bulb three. So you might say that light bulb four is a vehicle for light bulb three. I got to say another thing about light bulb three, because that's, that's the most interesting one. It's, it's the one that can best help you stand out in a crowded market. It's, it's a concept. It's the number one concept that I borrowed from that copywriter, Eugene Schwartz. He called it the mechanism or the unique mechanism. Uh, I simplified and called it light bulb three. And so it, it's your philosophy. It's your blueprint. It's your formula. It's your secret sauce your secret ingredient. But that's not the same thing as your, your offer. So you might have, you know, if it's the secret ingredient, it might be a health product and there might be some rare herb in there, but that herb can come in a powder form. It could come in a, you know, a whole plant form. It can be put into a pill. It can be put into a drink. So the herb would be the light bulb three, but that pill or the drink would be the light bulb four. Does that make sense? It does. And then to light bulb five, once someone has taken advantage of your offer, your, as you describe, your customer's new life, does that mean we should show the customer what their new life will look like once they've taken advantage of the approach and offer from light bulbs three and four? Yeah, definitely. And and where you show it depends. I mean, they're, they're kind of like colors of paint, the light bulbs, and, and you can use light bulb five earlier. You know, you, you can paint earlier on or save it for later. It's one of the fun things about it is that you can mix them up. Giving voice to light bulb five is answering that question. What's in it for me? And this was a big problem that I ran into working with these subject matter experts who really know their topic, but they're so in the weeds of it that they forget to connect the dots. They forget to tell their prospect how this, this product, this technology can benefit them. And so LiPo 5 is a way of pulling you out of the weeds and making you do the work of saying, okay, like here's the technology, but here's what it can do for you. 
as far as like communicating that new life, that value to the customer, do you do that with like a case study or a testimonial? Are those the two best vehicles to then deliver light bulb number five? Or is there another way that maybe I haven't thought about that we can demonstrate to the customer what their new life would be with your offer? There's a bunch of ways. There's a whole bunch of ways. So storytelling is one great way to do it. So telling a story about either yourself or about a customer and what they achieved. Imagery is another great thing that you can use for Lightbulb 5. A great way I like to, to teach Lightbulb 5 is to show these, because I like to study these old magazines and like Life and Reader's Digest and all that. And there's a lot of travel ads in those. And so travel ads are just full of Lightbulb 5. You see that ad for a trip to Hawaii and you see you know, the, uh, the beach and you see the drinks and everything. That's all Lightbulb 5 imagery. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of ways to do it. You could use a metaphor. You can say your light bulb five, fill in the blank, whatever that is, is like X, Y, Z, right? It's, it's like, it's like a trip to Hawaii, right? <laughs> whatever your actual light bulb five is. So there's a bunch of ways you can communicate that. Using positional is like a trip to Hawaii. I have to ask, how do I get started? Like I've identified the five light bulbs. I've identified that I'm probably not living up to them with my product messaging with like my CTAs and my website. Like, what do we do next? Like, do we do like an audit, like an inventory of all of our pages? How do we get started? Yeah. So the way that I do it when I'm consulting or the way that we teach it in our course is to, it's, it's a two-step process. So yeah, it's an audit. It's an audit. And so what you want to be doing first is going through the five light bulbs and one, ask yourself, what is the light bulb? Like, what is my light bulb one? How well do I know my light bulb one? And the second part of that is, am I giving voice to it? And what I found is that a lot of people will know, like actually know their customers' light bulbs, like light bulb one very well. Like they'll know what the problem is. But when you check the website or the marketing material, the words aren't on the page. So again, those two steps are one asking, do I know what this light bulb is? Do, or do I need to do more customer research? Do I need to hop on the phone with them or do a, a competitor analysis in the case of, say, light bulb three? And then the second step, am I giving voice to this light bulb? And that will give you a ton of things to do. I mean, every time I, I do this, the reaction is always the same. It's, oh, man, I got to go update my website. And it sounds like we should be doing this fairly regularly. Would that be an accurate statement? Especially if you're an early stage startup where your ICP or your product or your value prop might be changing every three months. Does it make sense for us to on a monthly or quarterly basis kind of come back and do like another audit across these five light bulbs? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a uh, consulting day with a, a YC startup recently and they're in a market that's changing very quickly. And so even if you and so and, and it's interesting because we got the whole team around. I met with the founder first and then we a couple of days later, we got the team around. And we, so we create what's called a messaging map and that contains your five light bulbs. And I just got to sit back and listen to everyone discuss what they thought their light bulbs were for their customer, which was all different, which was interesting because they were on the same team. So I was like, okay, well, there you go. There's some room for improvement, right? Like first thing we got to do is get aligned on the messaging. If, if we want to improve our messaging, we got to know what our core message is. And, and because their market had changed so quickly, especially light bulb three, that was where they really had to adjust that because that's the one where even if you have everything locked in, the world is still spinning, things are changing, new competitors come on the market, new technologies come on the market. If you don't give voice to those things, then you're going to see them out of touch and, and tone deaf. So yeah, that, that messaging map or whatever you want to keep your five light bulbs in is very much a living, breathing document. Yeah. I feel like with my CTAs across my websites over the years, I've always been like extremely direct like sign up for our product right now like go get your 
demo, go get your free trial, like go get your personal loan. But it sounds like the better approach is to more clearly show the visitor how they're struggling, how your approach would help them and then show them what the end result will look like, which is a better situation than they are in currently. So does that mean we should get rid of like our book a demo CTAs or like get free trial now? Should we go with something different on our website? It's a tough thing. And man, marketing is so hard. When I was in the engineering world, you know, we could turn a pipe and then know exactly what would happen, what the, what the output would be, right? The flow rate increased by X amount of meters per second. Uh, humans are very different. They're very unpredictable and we can't make anyone buy. And so all we can do is try to model that buying behavior best we can. And so the, the, the right answer, or I guess the best answer is you really got to think about your traffic source and what they, going back to the idea of belief building earlier, like where are they in that journey? If they already know that, that you see them, like bulb one, if they already know that those other options aren't the best for them, like bulb two, if they have been sold on your approach, your way of solving the problem, light bulb three, then by all means, go for that light bulb four. And those are the people you want to start with because they're the most sold already, right? Like you're, you're preaching to the converted. So you can go right for that sale, you know, and, and again, the, the old copywriters knew this and all they need at that point is that they need to know the deal. So that's where stuff like discounts and bonuses and all that kind of stuff comes into play. Um, but a lot of people only do that and forget the rest. They forget the other light bulbs. You know, I'm working with them. Um, I, I teach a, uh, I work with YouTube advertisers, people like hardcore media buyers, like spending a lot of money every day on YouTube. And uh, a big lesson we learned there was, man, you just got to test all these light bulbs because depending on the market, there's going to be one light bulb where it's the 80, 20 rule. There's going to be one light bulb where it, you haven't been giving voice to it or no one in your market has been. But if you're the one to give voice to that, it's just like an explosion. It's like a dam breaks and people were just craving that. So that's, that's my best answer is test all the light bulbs because you're going to find that one just resonates 10 times more than the other. Yeah. And I found with uh, website owners and startups, a big mistake they'll make is they'll use the exact same call to action or in other words, product messaging across every single page on their website, whether it's a blog post that's very high in the funnel, or if it's a blog post that's targeting someone that could be ready to buy today, like they'll use the exact same call to action across all of those pages. But it sounds like we need to think really critically about for each page, where is that customer have some of the light bulbs already been answered and then tailor our CTA to their different stage in the buying journey. Does that feel right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good North Star for sure. And I have to ask, what's like the biggest mistake we can make when it comes to product messaging? I'm sure there are so many, but what is one that stands out that you see quite often? That's a good one. Not backing up claims with proof is a huge one. And so you see a lot of, you see a lot of promises out there, especially in the, like the online course world. I say, you know, I work a lot there and you see these big, bold promises, um, but you want to focus more on claims. You want to make, you want to make a, an argument for something. So that's kind of related. Like what you are doing at the end of the day is arguing for something. This is what I, I always say is like, if, if you want to take away one thing from the five light bulbs, one thing to do, it's make an argument for your light bulb three, because when you do that and you, you sell your way of doing things, then you open the door for an easier sale. Uh, Peter Drucker, the management, famous management consultant, he had this great quote that the goal of marketing is to make selling unnecessary. So that's the same idea. When you Light bulb three is marketing, light bulb four is sales. So when you sell your light bulb three, you make a strong argument for it using claims and backing them up with proof, 
then you make the job of selling so much easier. And we see that when, when we dedicate more messaging and say um, a product launch to light bulb three, we get much more friction free sales for light bulb for, with light bulb four. They refund less. They're more likely to use the product or better customers, et cetera, et cetera. So you see the impact of the light bulbs framework, not just on initial conversions, but on like the end of the conversion funnel too, like churn, retention, LTV, the upfront work that you're doing on, for example, light bulb three can actually have an impact on like churn or LTV too. You've seen that? Absolutely. Because think about someone who's totally bought into your methodology before they ever buy anything. How much more likely are they to stay on board than someone who maybe bought because it was Black Friday, right? And they have no idea what you really do. It's just an impulse buy. So you can, it, it's, a, it's a difference between long-term and short-term thinking. And, and this bugs me a lot because you'll see people then take a screenshot of their revenue on Black Friday and they're like, hey, look how much money we made from all this discounting. It's like, yeah, but I've been behind the scenes and checked that in a few months. And so, yeah, the five light bulbs, I'm glad you brought this up, is very much geared towards long-term thinking. And you're right. It, it does affect uh, the quality of customer that you get, and, and it will increase the quality of customer. As far as testing goes, does it make sense for us to be A-B testing different light bulbs or different product messaging at once if we've got a lot of traffic going to our site? Yeah, that, that's that's tricky, though. Uh, I mean, for one, are the, the test results valid? That's a big thing. It's it's so messy, right? Like I was saying earlier, like the world is messy and like depends on the traffic source and seasonality and all this. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Probably the most useful thing I can give your listeners is you want to test for this is another great copywriting quote. You want to test for screams and not whispers. And so don't get caught up in optimizing a button color where you could test a different light bulb and get 10x the results. In math, this is the idea of the local maxima versus the global maxima. And so you can think about it like hiking a mountain and there's this, this false summit and you keep trying to like reach the tippy top and then the tippy top of that false summit, there's a much bigger summit right behind it. And so that's what we found is like, you might be just optimizing the, the crap out of your light bulb one and you might get incremental gains from that. But if you were to just devote a little bit, like one message to light bulb three, exponential gains. You're writing a book and it's coming out in 2024. It's called Simple Marketing for Smart People. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a beast. Uh, I've written a couple before, but more of like, and this is a co-authorship too. I'm writing it with my um, client and now partner, Tiago Forte of Building a Second Brain. If there's any productivity, fellow productivity geeks out there. But yeah, it's going to be really for a person, a person like me, a person like Tiago, this person who doesn't have the typical entrepreneur, sales, marketing background, more of a, a bookish person, more of an academic person, a solopreneur, a self-employed person, a creator who finds themselves in this position where they have to do marketing and they're saying, oh crap, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of gimmicks. And so we walk through a lot of stuff that we've talked about today, making an argument for your product in, in, a, in a way that you can do marketing in a way that that feels uh, ethical, that is ethical, and uh, and that just kind of jives with the way that you think. Because these smart people, they they like education and they like to teach. And the way that I teach marketing, <laughs> marketing is teaching. Marketing is education. You're probably gathering that from the way I'm talking about the five light bulbs. And when's the book going to be available? Mid next year, mid 2024, uh, spring actually, 2024. How do you go about publishing a book? Do you need a publisher? Is that still a thing? 
It's changed a lot. So this one is self-published. Uh, Tiago, he he's had two recently hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list with a traditional publisher. But this one is going to be self-published. And we're, we have a book coach who is helping with us with it. So that's been a huge thing for me is having someone actually sit with me on a call and make me write because I don't think I would get it done. Because I've, I've written it very quickly. We've written it very quickly. And so, yeah, so self-published and I have a book coach. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to transition to the lightning round. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. My first question is on productivity hacks. It sounds like you're a productivity hack guy. What's the number one life productivity hack that you would give to our listeners? Oh, well, my friend Tiago. Yeah, so his system, Building a Second Brain, was really a game changer for me. I uh, I took his course before I, I, I knew him and then, uh, and then started working with him. But yeah, definitely check out his, especially his para method, P-A-R-A. It's a way of organizing your folders. And that's been a real game changer. What's one company that does product messaging so right that we can use in as, as an example? Jay Peterman, the Jay Peterman catalog. A lot of people will think that comes from the show Seinfeld, but Seinfeld used it because it was so effective and such um, an incredible brand. So check out the Jay Peterman catalog. You will see clothing sold like you've never seen it sold before. And they just have fantastic copy. Have you ever read the book Never Split the Difference? Oh, it's Chris Foss's book, right? Yeah, I, I know him. Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome book. A lot of what you're describing feels similar in some ways to some of what Chris talks about and in a very different context. Yeah, Chris goes on in that book to talk about like listening to the person you're negotiating with and hearing them out and then proposing your approach based on what they've said. And I know that's for like business negotiations and sales, but it feels like what you're proposing with your light bulb framework is almost the the marketer's approach to never split the difference. I don't know if that's a fair categorization. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of he yeah, Chris uses a lot of argumentation techniques, a lot of like steel manning which is kind of like the next level of playing devil's advocate, which, which ties into light bulb too. It's like making an argument. It's like you can make an argument why you shouldn't buy your own product. That would be steel. And then steel manning it would be, so you make the best argument why you shouldn't buy your own product. And then you overcome that argument. And that's in the same vein as what Chris teaches. And you can totally do that with the five light bulbs. Yeah, he's awesome. I love that guy. He's like, he's a cool dude too. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Two-parter, favorite beer overall. Like last beer you can drink like on death row. I'm going to go with that uh, that Pliny that I named earlier. That's just such a phenomenal one. Yeah. That said, there's too many IPAs in California. I hope people brew other beers, darker beers besides IPAs, but that is a really good one. Favorite light beer. There's a, a brewery in Germany. It's the, uh, the, the oldest brewery in the world. It's from, I think, 1080 is the year that they established the brewery. I'm going to botch the name because it's German, but something like Weinstephan. And they make a Hefeweizen, which you can actually find all across the U.S. So Weinstephan Hefeweizen beer, they call it. Uh, it's only about maybe four and a half percent. Phenomenal. Like Germans, like precision engineering, right? Like they know how to dial in a beer. And, uh, and that one is just, yeah, that might be my favorite, actually. In SEO, we're hearing a lot about especially for review sites. So like when I launched my beer review site this weekend, needing to like test the product to write like an honest review. So I'll keep you updated as like natescraftbeer.com comes live. Last question, and I wasn't going to ask it. What's the biggest mistake we make with email newsletters or what's something you've learned so far? Oh, we could do a whole nother episode on these. One call to action. Keep it simple. I know like some of these newsletters work, you know, like Morning Brew and all them with a million different links and everything. Um, but I mean, it's just classic writing advice. Keep it to one thing. 
Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? We will definitely include some links back to your site in the show notes. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, definitely uh, check out the five light uh, I have, I've been writing a newsletter for a while, but I launched a new iteration of it that, um, that I'm really happy about and it's going very well. So that's on billybross.com in the light bulb vein. It's called Billy's Monday light bulb goes out every Monday. So hop on there and then reply and say hello. I love to, to interact with all my readers. We had an extended lightning round. So for all the listeners who made it to the post-closing last question, thank you for listening. And Billy, thank you so much for coming on. This was such an interesting episode and not like any of the other episodes we've done. I've learned a lot and I think we have a lot to implement at Positional. So thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Nate. You were a great host. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. (music) 